Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Ah, we meet again. I had a funny feeling I'd find you here. Now, as I just said, my name is Derek Hayes and I will be your liaison between each of our creepy calls this evening. Now, I have quite the spook fest in store for you tonight. So you better buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. And to kick things off, we're going to check in with some ongoing developments up in Big Sky Country. You may remember back on the Season 10 Hometown Legends Finale, Part 1, we heard from two callers, Deanna and an anonymous source, both calling in to share details about a strange creature some claim to see in the state of Montana. A creature many are referring to as the Goat Man. Now here's a portion of each call courtesy of Deanna and our anonymous submitter, respectfully. She was explaining about the Goatman of Browning, Montana, and how there's a specific stretch of highway where a Goatman typically will run parallel with cars or will stop vehicles by standing out in the middle of the road on this highway. I guess he looks like a little satyr, like the one off of the Disney movie, The Hercules but he does have the curled horns and he's got red glowing eyes and fangs for teeth. She was scared. I remember her being absolutely terrified. He told me a story of when he was about eight years old. He was walking along the street below the cemetery from a friend's house and up on the hill in the cemetery, he saw what he described as a devil. He said it was a large, bluish-black furry creature with horns and that the legs were like they were on backwards. They bent the wrong direction. And he said, you know, I told one of my good friends about it, the friend whose house I was at, and he said he had seen it too, but they never talked about it. Well, as it turns out, our anonymous source has some additional information she would like to share with us. Hi, Derek. This is your anonymous caller from Big Sky, Montana, that was featured in last season's Hometown Legends. I just got around to listening to that episode and realized you used my story and you had sent me on a deep spiral. I had the story about the devil-like creature. You mentioned Chelsea, Montana, which is in the northeast Montana and is about eight hours from me, and Browning, which is northwest Montana and about four hours from me. I'm in southwest Montana, but I started trying to research Dogman in Montana after you made that suggestion. And unfortunately, it's really hard to find stuff because there was a mysterious Dogman shot in Montana in uh, 2018 that was just a 
gray wolf, but the one sighting I could find happened in Carbon County, which is in southeast Montana. So that's four different areas, each in a different corner of the state. No more information yet, just thought that was really cool. I'm going to keep diving on this whole dogman theory and let you know if I can find anything. No thanks again, caller. How convenient that all four corners seem to be represented. But is it enough to convince you that there is something strange taking place in the treasure state? Well, to fan the flames of curiosity, concern, or perhaps terror, please welcome Sarah from Montana. Hi, this is Sarah from Montana. I have a pretty interesting story for you, and it's not my own personal story. It is a story. So my boyfriend's aunt, she has had some pretty interesting things happen to her. Uh, I live out in kind of a rural area of Montana in a small town. Kind of everybody knows everybody. I was at a family barbecue, and she looked over at my phone, noticed that I was scrolling through, looking at cryptid-type stuff and stuff like that. And so she's like, well, I have a story for you. I was like, okay, shoot. (laughs) And so basically this took place back in the 70s, and her and her best friend, they were outside of a gas station. They were smoking cigarettes and just hanging out. And this guy kind of approaches them and asks if they could give him a ride to the Jocko River campground. That's about four miles up the road. And I guess back then, picking up hitchhikers, it really wasn't that big of a deal. So they were like, heck yeah, get you know, get in the car. And she said he was pretty quiet. There was nothing really weird about him. He had a long coat on. Basically, she said, you know, he wasn't creepy looking, nothing like that. Just looked like an average guy, I guess. Kind of clean cut, clean shaved. So they get in the car and they're rolling down the road. So she's in the passenger seat. Her friend is the one who's driving. And she's fiddling with the lighter because she was going to light up another cigarette. And she drops the lighter on the floor. And so this guy's sitting in the back seat. And, you know, it's quiet, whatever. So she drops the lighter. And she bends down to pick it up. And it kind of tucked underneath the seat a little bit more. And she has to, like, you know, kind of stretch to get down there. And as she's grabbing the lighter, she looks under the seat. And this man has hoods. She swears up and down to this day, this man had hoods for feet. Black hair, black hoods. She said basically she grabbed her lighter, she sat like back up in her seat, and she said she just tried to keep cool. And when they got to the mile marker to turn off to the campground, she said they got about halfway down the road, and she said she turns around to say something to him, and he is gone. Literally nobody else in the car besides them. She says she freaking just screams, and then her and her friend are just screaming, and she said that her friend just flips the Yui, and they got out of there. And to this day, she says that her and her best friend gave the devil a ride up the road. Every time she brings up this story, that's what she's always said. She said that night we gave the devil a ride up the road, and she just sticks to it. But anyways, yeah, that's my story. Huge fan of the podcast. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Sarah. With all due respect to your boyfriend's aunt, I've actually heard this legend before, in Montana no less. I've actually linked to yet another example in tonight's show notes, if you'd like to take a look. But when we've been told about this legend previously, including the example I just mentioned, 
The details typically involve a dashing stranger that was lighter than air on the dance floor. That is until someone notices his cloven feet. But oddly enough, we venture all the way to New Zealand to find a version so similar I felt it worth mentioning. Now the following info comes courtesy of the website Paranormal New Zealand. A strange-looking man in a trench coat was hitchhiking the Watui Saddle Road in the early hours in pitch-black darkness. My uncle picked him up. He didn't say a word, just silence, as the truck headed down the road towards Tarungi. The man thumped on the door of the truck to be let off. When the truck came to a stop, the man jumped off the truck and disappeared into the night. My uncle said to me, all you heard was clip-clop, clip-clop, clip-clop. Somehow his lower half isn't distinguishable until he's in your car. He's very smelly. If you don't pick him up, something bad will happen. So who knows? Is there a creature on the loose somewhere in Montana? Maybe a satyr, a devil, or just some dude with messed up feet? Either way, please keep us abreast on all the terrifying updates. And thank you again to all of our previous callers. Now up next, we field a call from my neck of the woods. Almost literally. Please welcome Tim from New York City to the program. Hey, so uh, my name is Tim Sexton. I've been listening to your podcast for about two months now, and I've, I've been flying through all the episodes. And uh, I just got back to the one where you mentioned having moved to San Bernardino in Southern California. And I finally realized this is a great time to finally call in and tell you the one and only unexplainable incident I've ever had in my life. So I live on Long Island in New York, and for two months over the summer in college, which was 2009 to 2013, I would work in archaeological field school in California in San Bernardino Mountains. And we were out there for two months up in the mountains, and I know there's an Air Force base out there. I think it's Edwards Air Force Base. And we would see fighter jets fly over pretty regularly, pretty much, I don't know, every other day just about. And you could hear them. I mean, you could never see them. They were too high up. You could never make them out. But you knew where they were. You could hear them. You could, you could tell where they were going, the direction they were moving. Every once in a while, there'd be an A-10. And those you could see because they were a little lower. And you could hear those big turbine engines that they have. And every night for 60 days that I was out there each year, we would all kind of get back from our surveying and stuff over the day. I mean, we'd wake up at 6 in the morning and we'd work till 6 at night. And so we were working a lot each day. So we'd, we'd have a little campfire after dinner, but it was never much because we were all very tired and we'd have to wake up super early the next day. So none of us were ever really drunk or high or any of that. So uh, I know that what I saw was what I saw. So pretty regularly, we'd have these campfires. And at about midnight, everybody would kind of go to bed. I, I'd be one of the last ones up. And I would do this every night. We'd end the campfire, and I would, I would kind of go out to this small little clearing. Cause we, were, we were camping up in the mountains where there's, there's no light pollution at all. And that's not something that I'm used to coming from Long Island. So every night, literally every night, when we were done with the campfire at about 12.30, 1 in the morning, we'd all go back into our tents and stuff because we're camping and get our pajamas on, brush our teeth, everybody would go back to bed. And I would kind of walk out to this little clearing. Uh, it was about 50 yards from where we were all camped out and just smoke like one little cigarette or, or kind of just hang out by myself for about five to ten minutes and just look up at the sky. I always loved looking at the sky and, and being out there with no light pollution. It was incredible. 
You could see everything. I would do that every night. And on the third year that I was there, this is after 60 days, three years in a row, so talking about 180 days looking up at the sky, never seeing anything at night. And finally, this one night, I lay on my back and I look up and there is a, what I can only describe is what looks like when a cruise missile, when they test a cruise missile, it kind of looks like a comet. It has like a very wispy tail. It's not like watching a, a missile launch, you know, where you, you see the fire coming out and the smoke and everything. It's not like that. It, it looks very much like a comet the wispy tail and it's moving across the sky and I see that initially and then I realize there's a solid blue orb just about the same size as an airliner but it's solid it's not blinking and it's a dark blue but it's very bright and it's doing figure eight around this moving comet slash cruise missile looking object and it's flying across the sky and I, and I lay there and I watch this for easily at least five minutes I would say five to ten minutes and it just kept doing it. And it wasn't making 45 degree turns or 90 degree turns like you hear people describe a lot of times with UFOs. It was just doing these smooth figure eight patterns very closely to this comet-like, cruise missile-like looking object. And the best way I can describe is how close they were would be to take a nickel, a coin, and put it in between your index finger and your thumb and put it arm's length up straight in the sky. And both objects, fell underneath that coin they'd both be covered up that's how close they were and they looked way out there i would say at least the height of what typically would be an airliner and i watched these two objects they moved across the sky by the time they reached the the opposite tree line it was about close to 10 minutes i would say i watched it the entire time and the entire time i watched it i thought i would love to take a video of this but because we were up in the San Bernardino Mountains, my cell phone was off. I didn't have any charge on it. And at the same time, I realized if I tried to take a picture or a video of this, it wouldn't come out at all. Because, you know, everybody knows, like, you've got a, a nice full moon and, and you try and take a picture with your cell phone. And it just, it never comes out. You look at the picture and it, it's a dot on the camera. And again, this was back in 2013. So the, the quality of the camera was just not good enough to actually get footage of this. And I've told a couple people about this, and I still can't believe it because it's the only experience I've ever had that was something that I cannot explain. Originally, I thought, oh, they're, they're launching a cruise missile, and they've got some kind of jet tracking it, you know, to, to see what it's doing. But the more I watched it, the more I realized that the royal blue dot, the bright blue dot, doing figure eights around this object just was nothing I've ever seen before. It was... I can't even describe it. it I could just look at it and, and know that it didn't seem human. It didn't seem like, like an earthly technology. And, and I started to think, well, maybe Edwards Air Force Base launched this missile and some UFOs saw it and scooped in and is trying to watch it and, and see what it's doing. And then I thought, well, that's crazy. That, that seems a little out there. So, I, you know, honestly, I, I really don't know. The following morning, I drew a small little diagram on a piece of cardboard to make sure I remembered exactly what it looked like, the scale of both objects, and I still have it in my wallet to this day, and I can email that to you because I know that when people view something and then they try and recall that years later, your memory is kind of distorted, and the more often you recall that memory, the more severely that memory is distorted. So by the time you've recalled the same event 10 times over the following 15 years, it's not quite the same as what you remembered. And I'd just like to say I love the show, I'm glad I finally uh, got the balls to uh, call you, and uh, keep it up, man. All right, have a good one.
Thanks, Tim. Now, I suppose there are several areas up here worthy of an archaeological dig, but I can't help but wonder if you were based out of Rock Camp, which is relatively close to Monsters Among Us Studios. It's a place full of bedrock mortars where the Serrano Band of Native Americans ground acorns in the fall. It's an odd place that gives you a strange feeling. And I actually did my own fruitless UFO investigation there a couple summers ago. Maybe I should try that again sometime soon. Now regardless, these mountains have certainly seen its fair share of unexplained objects in the sky. In fact, the following was pulled from the app next door, submitted by Diane M., who lives somewhere relatively near to me. UFO? Did someone happen to be on the 18 about 45 minutes ago? There was a tube-shaped thing hovering over the basin, and it wasn't moving. I pulled over as quick as I could to take a video, but before I could take the video, it shot off. It was so awesome to see. I stumbled upon that the other day and got pretty excited. And I can say that the skies up here are fairly clear, so if you're going to see a UFO, this would be a good spot. So thanks again, Tim, for sharing your entry. Now, if you have your own true paranormal story to share, please call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now, our next story comes to us from Eunice, here in the state of California. So please, join me in welcoming her to the program. Hi, Derek. It's Eunice. I remembered a story that my parents told me, and hopefully you can use it. By the way, I got my merch. I love it. Just wanted to give a shout out. So this story takes place in mid 2000s. We used to go camping every year to the river, the Colorado River out in Arizona, and we would stay at a campsite. So we would travel through needles specifically, and there was this highway. Everything around was just dirt, and you could see across in the distance and you can see the town, but everything surrounding it is just pure dirt, two-lane highway, just little rolling hills. So this is not my story. It's actually my mom and my dad's story. I happened to be there, but I don't remember that because I believe I was sleeping in the car. So we're driving back from camping. We're going home, back to our home in California. We're in Arizona and we're traveling on that two-lane road. And my mom, she tells my dad, there is a woman in the road. Move away so you don't hit her. So as she described it, there was this woman all in black walking on the side of the road, purely dirt. And my mom, she claims that there was a shift that was like a draw. Something was drawing them, the car, towards her. And it's kind of interesting because we're hauling something, hauling jet skis. So my dad's driving a heavy-duty truck and jet skis, and that's a pretty heavy load to just kind of shift very easily. So she felt this pull. I asked her if she ever saw the woman's face. She said no, but she was tall and slender and was all in black, and she could not figure out if she was wearing jeans or a dress. She just said she was all in black, and it's obviously the middle of the night, probably around 10, and 
that particular road, there's not a lot of cars, not a lot of traffic. So sometimes you'll have a car following you, give or take. So it's a pretty empty road. So it's kind of strange to see somebody there. So I asked her, what did she think about the woman? She said, well, I think it was death. La muerte, as you would say it in Spanish. She said, I felt like she was drawing us. And I mean, there aren't cliffs that you can go off to. You would just go on a flat area. But I mean, it is very possible as we were hauling heavy stuff that we could have gotten in an accident. But I just thought it was an interesting story. I asked her if she could see through her or anything like that. She thought she was solid as can be. Another story I have that I was part of, um, that it takes place in the same place, essentially, a couple miles down where we do camp and the campsite, the restrooms. You have to walk up like 20 flights of stairs. It's just one long staircase going up. It's in the open. You could see once you get up there, it's like a little platform. You could drive up to it, to the restroom on the campground on the side. So I was younger, so my mom would always accompany me because it's still a public place and anybody can go. And So we go up the stairs and it's purely quiet. I mean, you could hear little animals or skunks, raccoons. It's the desert. And we go up the stairs and we make it to the platform because also you could drive up to it, but it just was a pain to do that. And me and my mom are just walking and it's the men's restroom first and then the women's restroom. And it's like, I'll try my best to describe it. It's in the shape of a cube. The men's restroom is first and then right next to it is the women's. And if you look ahead, it's a kind of like an invisible corner. So you cannot see if there's somebody coming out of the women's restroom or coming off from the side of the women's restroom. And if you're coming off from that side, it actually wraps around and there are showers there. So as we're walking past the men's restroom and there's like a little parking lot, we see this man panting and coming around the corner and he is bloodied on his face and I, I was younger probably in my teens and I just look at my mom and she just kind of looks at me and brings me closer and I'm just like what is going on did this man come out of the woman's restroom or did he round the corner like where did he come from and in terms of where the man went, I do not recall if he went down the stairs, but you couldn't hear any other noise because it's pretty quiet around there. You could hear like chattering, but not immediately in that surrounding area. We entered the woman's restroom and, and there's this woman who's doing her makeup and it's really hot because it's summer and it's Arizona and she's just smiling at us and I just look at my mom again and think did she not hear that man just panting so loudly and she's just in here fine and maybe she doesn't care and I just thought that was really weird and as I listened to your show I was like is that like a full body apparition I've never seen such a thing or any translucent ghost or anything of that sort so yeah 
thank you. I love the podcast. Hopefully you can use my stories. Keep up the great work. Bye-bye. Thank you, Eunice. A nice two-for-one submission. And a huge thanks for picking up some merchandise. We strive pretty hard to come up with unique designs crafted by fellow paranormal-themed artists. And if you have a look at our shop, I think all that will be obvious. You can visit monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop, and that gets you access to pretty much everything we have to offer. Almost. Now, if you're a supporter of ours over at Patreon, a supporter at any level, you can also pick up a Patreon-exclusive glow-in-the-dark t-shirt. You can find that by visiting patreon.com forward slash monstersamonguspodcast. Now, on to the entry that Eunice sent in. I might have an alternate theory for what Eunice and her mother ran into outside that Arizona restroom. One of my favorite calls that I've shared to date was from Alan in Arizona, back on Season 8, Episode 19, and possibly, probably even earlier. In that episode, he told of a painted man running alongside his truck as he drove down an Arizona highway at highway speeds. Now, over the years, I've actually heard several other people tell a near-identical story, all seem to stem from the state of Arizona. So I guess what I'm saying here is, is it possible that the substance on the man Eunice saw was actually paint rather than blood? Was this the spirit of a Native American, a shaman, or as others have suggested, perhaps even a skinwalker? Now unfortunately, Eunice didn't include any details that would help us rule any of that out. So to keep our assumptions to a minimum, I'll simply say, thank you, Eunice, for the entry. And let us know if you think maybe it could have been body paint. Tonight's episode is sponsored by Magic Spoon. Now, as many of you probably have guessed, I enjoy things that make me feel nostalgic. Whether it's watching 80s horror movies, unsolved mysteries, or indulging in food that reminds me of my childhood. Now, tonight's sponsor, Magic Spoon, is a cereal that reminds me of the best things about being a kid in the 80s. But thankfully, it isn't full of the sugar and the junk found in some of our favorite childhood cereals. Now, Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. And at only 140 calories per serving, it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. Their variety pack comes in four familiar flavors. Cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And they taste just like those infamous name brand cereals from your childhood. But these are actually nutritious. So head on over to magicspoon.com forward slash monsters among us to grab a variety pack and try it today. Now be sure to use the promo code monsters among us at checkout to save $5 on your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Now again, that's magicspoon.com forward slash monsters among us. And use code monsters among us to save $5 off your order. Now as always, supporting your sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening and back to the spooky stuff. Eat. Now, this next one actually comes to us from a fellow Monsters Among Us team member. You may recognize John from his role as moderator on the Facebook group, a group with a sizable attendance, I might add. 
and you might also recognize him as tonight's next experiencer. John, tell us what you saw. Uh, hi, Derek. This is John from Minnesota. I guess you can call me John Cold. <laughs> Just a little bit about me. I grew up on the rocky shores of the Magic Lake Superior and spent most of my life there. I moved away for a short period, and then I ended up down in the Twin Cities area, still in Minnesota here. I've actually had experiences in both places that I've lived in Minnesota. I guess I'll just start from the very first experience that I had. Uh, I was young, about five years old. I remember it pretty vividly for being so young. I had my own room and I was sleeping and I was having a dream and I remember the dream very vividly. And I remember being at my grandparents' house and I was walking through different rooms of the house and every room I would stay in, I would look behind me and I would see coming at me was a, a disembodied hand, like the thing on the Adams family. It was just like crawling after me and I'd go in a different room. I don't know why I wasn't you know, more alarmed, but I was just kind of a matter of fact thing like, oh, let's go in a different room while there's a, a hand chasing me. But I would go in a different room and the hand would find a way to be there. I'd sit at the kitchen table and the hand would crawl up on the table and start crawling at me. And then I got up and I walked to the kitchen and I looked back at the table and I didn't see the hand. So I thought, okay, maybe it's gone, I guess. And then I looked up and it was on the ceiling. As I looked up, it dropped onto my face. And I remember waking up as this was happening and a hand actually came down on my face physically. I could look to the side of me through the fingers of the hand and see that it was a dark figure. I know you've talked about like Grim Reapers or things like that. I couldn't see a face. I couldn't see anything. All I could see was a dark mass that looked like it was wearing a robe and it put its hand on my face. Like, I don't know how it would have known to do that during my dream, but it was exactly as it was falling. It scared me and I woke up and as I woke up, this hand came down on my face. And I remember knocking the hand aside and just in one motion, leaping out of my bed and jumping across the door was right about two feet to the right of my bed. And I went to open it and I couldn't, which was weird because the door didn't lock. It was one of those old doors with the metal handles, a little skeleton key type keyhole in there, but there was no key needed for it. It didn't lock, but I couldn't open it. I was kicking it and pushing it and hitting it with my body and screaming at the top of my lungs. Then after like a few minutes or so, my mom finally came. She heard me screaming and tried opening it from her end. And at first it wouldn't open either. And then she told me to quit pulling and let go of the door so she could open it. And, but I wasn't. And then finally it just opened. When my mom got the door open, there was nothing in the room. There was no sign of anything being in the room. I told her that, you know, somebody grabbed me and she said it was just a dream, you know, that uh, my imagination got the best of me and everything. But I did just want to clarify that when the door finally did come loose and my mom came in the room, there was nothing in there. There was no way in or out other than that door, and there was nothing. So my memories after that, I don't remember anything, but just the impact that had on me at that age, I just I could never forget it, and it's always been with me. 
but I don't know what you think it might be. I mean, I've listened to enough of your podcasts where some things kind of fall into that. I know you had spoke about tulpas, and that was something I hadn't thought of before. You know, a thought form that actually made a physical being that, you know, I guess it's, it's possible that could be an explanation. I really, I'm at a loss. I don't really know where it came from. But what I do know is that was the first in a long string of experiences that I've had with a paranormal dark passenger, if you will. But I will, but uh, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for the podcast. Uh, like several people have said, it it is very therapeutic in a way that we can discuss these things that we all share that we can't really discuss anywhere else because, I don't know, you just hear of all these critics or skeptics or debunkers telling them that the paranormal side doesn't show them anything, so what proof is there? But then you have people like us where the paranormal side shows us a bit too much at some point. And, you know, what do we do? But thank you for that. Uh, Keep up the great work, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And thank you for your countless hours of tending to our little group as well. Much appreciated. Now, this is certainly a wild one. And to be frank, I have a difficult time not siding with the mother on this one. I could easily see how a young man, such as John, could have had a nightmare that was so bad that it carried his fear into consciousness just long enough to get a good freak out. But then again, I trust John, and I think John believes the events that happened to him. And also, how would you explain the door that was seemingly stuck? Maybe this is just one of those stories where we ask the listeners if they've experienced anything similar. You know, fingers over your face as you're trying to sleep. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Until then, another big thanks to you, John. And all the other moderators, too, while I'm at it. Now, tonight's episode is brought to you by the good folks at Manscaped. You know, Father's Day is just around the corner, and you probably need a gift for your hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. Now, as a Monsters Among Us listener, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code MONSTERS at manscaped.com. Show your dad how much you care by gifting him with a sleek, well-designed body hair trimmer complete with advanced skin-safe technology to reduce those grooming accidents. Now, the Lawnmower 4.0 includes a travel lock, a 4000K LED spotlight, and additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. You know, it also has a wireless charging system that uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Now tell me, have you ever seen a nose bush sticking out of your dad's nose? The Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer is the best on the market, and also makes the perfect gift for your pops. This year, get your dad something you know he will use. Head to manscaped.com and use the code MONSTERS for 20% off plus free shipping. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code MONSTERS at checkout. Manscaped would like to remind you that your father helped create you. So show him some love this Father's Day. And as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening, and back to the spooky stuff. Well, you know it's been a spell since we wrangled with the big guy. 
So to remedy that, please welcome Patrick from the Golden State of California to the program. Hey Derek, my name is Patrick from Northern California area, specifically Soma County. Hope all's well with you and the family during these crazy times. Been listening to your podcast the last few weeks, really enjoying it, great job, keep it up. So a quick story for you, nothing too crazy, but it's been, been bugging me for the past, past 15 years or so. Anyways, it was summer of 2005, 2006, me and uh, my buddy, he was spending the night we're hanging out and we decided to go to go out for a little a little run, a little jog at night. So we started going and we leave my house, go outside, we lived on a cul-de-sac, end of the cul-de-sac, turned out, came down the street, and then we turned onto the main road and then went down. And at the end of the road it was kind of like a horseshoe. So we started going down there. I uh, ended up getting on my bike and my buddy ended up getting on some rollerblades just kind of enjoyed the night. It's probably around 9 p.m., 9.30 p.m. at this point. So in Northern California around that time during the summer, June, July, it's just just starting to get dark, probably about half an hour after being dark. So anyway, I'm on a bike, my buddy's on his roller skates, and he lived down the street from me, so as we're headed out for kind of our our run or midnight adventure, he ends up picking up his dog. Well, he had a four-year-old dog and Rottweiler mix. His name was Foster. He's huge dog. Uh, I would say probably between 95 to 110 pound dog. We've been camping with us pretty much everywhere with him to the park and every other place. I mean, he wasn't afraid of anything. He chased raccoons, squirrels, possums, anything that he could go after, he would. That's the important part of the story here. But anyways, so like I said, it's about at night, me and my buddy and his dog Foster are coming down to our main street towards this horseshoe. Well, as we're coming around, we make a right towards the horseshoe at the end of the street. And as you come around the bend on the horseshoe on the right-hand side, about halfway through, it opens up. There's no more house. It's a big rural farm, and that farm leads to, has an entrance to this creek, to this little, I guess, water reservoir creek area that runs the length of the town, probably two, three miles. But anyways, as we're rounding that bend, Foster kind of like tenses up a little bit, senses something. We were like I said, I was riding my bike, just like kind of a steady pedal. My buddy was on his rollerblades next to me, and Foster was on like a, like a decent decent trot. And we start to slow down, and we're starting to come around the bend. We pass the farm area, pass the creek area. Well, on the backside of this horseshoe-type street, there's no street light. It's completely dark. So we start to go on the backside of this horseshoe, and then all of a sudden, we get probably 15 yards, 20 yards on the backside of this horseshoe, and Foster just stops in his tracks. I mean, his dog is just stops, hackles on his back or up, and he's doing this low growl, and his head's kind of low to the ground, just looking straight ahead. And then me and my buddy stop on my bike, stop, and I, I look, and we kind of look at each other, kind of puzzled, and all of a sudden, Foster just up and barks, just kind of starts going crazy, he's kind of jumped on the leash, and just won't calm down. Well, all of a sudden, me and my buddy noticed that under this car, it was either a 90s model Chevy Suburban or Chevy Tahoe, so a decent size vehicle. We noticed these two reddish-orange eyes, almost like a reflection from a cat or something like that. So we didn't really think too much of it. So we kind of start to go forward, and Foster's not having anything of it. He just tugging on the leash. He wants to go back. He wants to go back. And all of a sudden, I'm on the bike, and my buddy's holding Foster. As I start to go forward... This pair of eyes seems like it rolls out from underneath this vehicle and stands up. 
and all we see is hard to make out. It's just a silhouette at this point, but stands up, and it's taller than the vehicle. And like I mentioned before, the vehicle is either a Chevy Tahoe or Suburban, so it's a decent-sized vehicle. Stands up, it's probably a foot, foot and a half taller than this vehicle, and just kind of makes like a, a running lunge towards us, towards us. At that point, Foster just takes off the other way where we came from, and my poor buddy just drags him on his rollerblades, and he's gone. And me, I'm trying to turn my bike around, and I'm trying to, it's got my feet on the pedals, and I finally get it as I'm going. I'm starting to pedal, starting to pedal, trying to get away from this thing. I feel like something kind of grabbing at the back of my neck or back of my shirt. I feel like the air from a hand or, or from, from something. And like I said, we just take off and we bolt. And I've never gotten home so fast from that area of my life. But uh, yeah, that's it. I, I don't know what it could have been. Like I said, it's hard to really define anything. It's just the eyes, the height, no real figure to it. And like I said, it was in the suburban area. But like I said, I, I, at first thought it was a cat, a raccoon, possum, something like that. And I've hunted my whole life and I've been outdoors and been camping and everything. And I've seen everything, bears, cougars, like I said, raccoons, possums. You name it, I've seen it, and, and this is just something I can't explain. And I said, I'm, I'm 30 now, this happened about 15, 16 years ago, and my buddy, same thing, I haven't seen, uh, just reconnected with him recently, we've been kind of touch and go over the years, but uh, we brought it up a couple of days ago, and we were in different rooms, and, our, and my wife's first time meeting him, asking about this story, which I've told her, and I never talked to him this night before, he said the same exact thing I just said in this, in this recording, verbatim so like i said no idea what it could have been like i said i i believe in everything i, I believe in paranormal i believe in cryptids i believe in cryptozoology all that stuff but like i said i just can't make it out at first i thought maybe it was some kind of sasquatch or uh shapeshifter or something like that but it was definitely interesting so uh all right derek i'll leave you with that still trying to wrap my brain around it now so uh appreciate you man everything you do great work like i said uh take care and stay safe all right man bye Thank you, Patrick. Now, tossing my logical thinking cap on real quick, could this be another case of an owl playing tricks on the human mind? Before you laugh, hear me out. Imagine an injured owl has taken shelter under the vehicle. That is, until two kids and a dog come by, spooking it. So it somehow hops or flies to the roof of the vehicle in an attempt to stay out of harm's way. Only it's too dark to actually see the owl. So all Patrick and his friend can see were the very reflective eyes of the bird. It's sort of a new take on the owl on a branch theory. But then again, why was the dog so upset? And why did Patrick describe the eyes as rolling out from under the vehicle rather than flying or hopping? And let's not forget the setting. Northern California is known to many to be the biggest Bigfoot hotspot on the planet. A nugget, surely, worth mentioning and considering. But truth be told, I don't know. What I do know, the experience made for a great little entry. So thanks again, Patrick, for sharing. Well, guys, just like that, we've reached our final entry of the evening. And for this one... We hop on a plane, cross the pond over to the UK, where Frank has an entry to share with us. Hi Derek, uh, this is Frank from the UK. I uh, really enjoyed the podcast very much. I wanted to contribute to it for a while with uh, an experience I had. Uh, but the impetus for this particular call is from reading a section of my grandfather's book, 
which I thought was quite intriguing. Uh, so the book itself is uh, part family history, part autobiography. Uh, the particular section was detailing an encounter he had in 1935. Uh, so around this time, he was uh, a young man employed as a milk inspector. So uh, he would go around the farms in the county of Berkshire, uh, about 18 miles northwest of London, uh, just I mean, making sure milk quality was to the standard acceptable. And you know, he would report back to the council. You know, that was his job. Uh, so while driving uh, between farms, he essentially encountered what he called uh, an intermittent village, uh, a village that appeared and disappeared along the same road. Uh, and sometimes he'd drive through, it would be there, and other times it wouldn't. Uh, it's probably better that I just read that extract from his book, uh, just to give you uh, the flavor of his experience. So um, he says, it could be a crisp morning without fog and with plenty of sunshine to illuminate everything in that, about that valley. And I could be driving without blinking down that same road, and I wouldn't catch a peep of the little village I'd seen yesterday. The very next day, there it was again, emerging from the trees as I turned the corner with the car. There would be a few thatched cottages on my left as I was coming up, a third house of Georgian architecture a little further down on the right, and a common with a well set in front of the fourth and fifth house dead ahead as I came to the junction. The roadway became noticeably coarser, and when accelerating, the vehicle would often feel buffeted by the wind on the right side as the trees remained still on the verge. No people were visible, and the doors to my vehicle remained firmly closed once the peculiarity had presented itself, conscientious as I was at that young age. This intermittent village was as common as it was uncommon a sight on my journeys around the Shire in those early years, and the nature of the phenomenon had left me perplexed. No prosaic explanation has been forthcoming. So yeah, I thought that was um, that was quite interesting. It doesn't actually say in the book where exactly that phenomenon occurs, but when I uh, mentioned this to my dad, he actually remembered Grampy talking about this same experience, and uh, he recalled it was between um, the villages of Tufts Clump and Burnt Hill, which I thought were quite like characterful names in and of themselves. Since then, this area seems to have been urbanized, so it seems uh, you know, whatever vanishing village might have been there has been uh, crowded out by the material. Um, but anyway, that's, uh, that's all I have to share, uh, just a little interesting tidbit. Thanks for all your work on the podcast, and uh, have a good one. Thank you, Frank. Here's a story we've touched on in the past, or at least one like it. I've heard a dozen or so disappearing house stories over the years, each quite similar to the last. Most similar to this one that took place in my home state of Ohio. Now, the guy who told me this story, his name was Scott Case. And in high school, he uh, went and hung out with uh, one of his friends, spent the night uh, in the New Richmond area, New Richmond, Ohio. And uh, they live right next to a cemetery. So his dad pretty much mowed around the gravestones and things like that. They took care of it. So one night, the uh, guys were out there kind of playing around just outside and they go up the hill because the cemetery's on a hill and um, they look out into the woods and there's a big open field on the other side of this woods and they see a light there and they're like, wow, I wonder what that is and they'd never seen it before. So they walked across this field and there were some people out there. They had a fire going and they were just, hey, come on over, you know, so they came over and they said, oh, hey, how's it going? And they hung out with these guys all night. They really liked them. They liked them so much they wanted to come back again the next day. 
Sleeping home that night and thinking, wow, those people are really cool. I can't believe I didn't know those people were there. Well, morning comes and these guys slept just about till noon. And they go out and they're going to go and see these guys again. Well, they go out to the spot in the field where they had talked with the people and hung out with them the night before. And nothing's there. The house that was there, that all that's left is what's left of a foundation. They later found out that that house had burned to the ground. Now that clip comes courtesy of Shane Reinert on YouTube. But you know, this is the first example I can recall that describes an entire village going missing. That's quite the feat if you think about it. And something you would think more people would take notice of. And one more thing to add about this before I duck out. It's not lost on me that this experience took place in the UK. It seems that a majority of these types of calls stem from that corner of the world. Begging the question, who do they make houses out of over there? Now thanks again, Frank, for sharing your entry and sharing your grandfather's story. What a treasure to have access to all the words that he had written. And please do let us know if you find anything else spooky in there. And guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the beautiful score you hear in the background. Let's Co.AG Music and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week. Now tonight's secret entry from the state of New Mexico comes to us via Taylor. Hey Derek, um, this is Taylor calling from New Mexico. I was actually listening to the Skinwalker story on your grab bag episode and that kind of freaked me out. So I started thinking about other stories that I had and I'm Navajo so I was initially getting a prayer done just because me and my dad, some rich things had started happening to us. So traditionally, we got a prayer done by, we were getting it done by a family friend. He's a medicine man. And I was basically the main patient because I was leaving back to school in Phoenix. So my parents just wanted to do a prayer to make sure that, you know, like I have the right mindset and things like that. But he was singing a song and I was sitting to the left of him. But he set out, like, he kind of had, like, a rug kind of, like, rolled up. And he unrolled it between both of us. And this rug was maybe, like, three, four feet long and maybe, like, three feet wide. 
And when he unrolled it, he had all his, like, little pouches of, like, medicines and stuff in it. And there were things that he would give to me, and there were things that would just sit there. Like, he wouldn't even use them. At this point in time, what we did was you have to sit in a circle, and I was sitting right by the stove. So it was to the right of me, the medicine man, the rug that he put between us, me, my mom, my dad, and my aunt. And it was just us. And at the time, you're not supposed to have any, like, electronics or anything playing. So all the TVs were off, all the radios were off. There was no sound except for us. And he was singing a song, and we all had our eyes closed. We kind of just kind of have to, like, I guess, zone out and pay attention to those things, like, carefully. And as he was singing a song, I started hearing a drum. And it was kind of like... And I was like, what? And it sounded like, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but if you go to like powwows and stuff, they kind of have little drums and it's like a rawhide drum. And it sounds completely different than like instrument drums. But um, I heard that and I was trying to pinpoint where it came from. And I looked at the TV, the TV was off and I was looking at a radio and the radio was unplugged. And I was like, oh, maybe it's his ringtone. And I could not find where it was and I heard it to my right and I kept like staring at where the sound was coming from and I kind of leaned over to my right and I finally pinpointed it and it sounded like it was coming from like a pouch that he had and it was so weird it was clear as day and I heard it and I kind of didn't say anything but I was freaking out and at the end of the song he kind of was like because that was the last song and he had finished and he started kind of like cleaning up and he always asked like have you guys heard anything so I was kind of like, oh, I heard a drum. And he was like, my dad was like, yeah, I heard a drum too. And the medicine was like, oh, he's like, you guys caught that. He's like, I don't think anybody was going to hear that. He's like, but that's because basically when you do a prayer ceremony, what it does is like if people are talking bad about you, it kind of just stops that. And I guess like bounces back to them. And he said, you heard that because those people who are trying to do bad to you they're using the drum and that's why you and your dad heard it because at the time you were doing like a I don't know what you would call it like a it was a business that a lot of people weren't a fan of and it was it's not bad that's my story um I hope you enjoy it uh love your show thank you thank you Taylor now before I discuss Taylor's call a quick reminder that proceeds from each of the Monsters Among Us posters sold from our shop goes to help the Navajo Water Project a nonprofit looking to bring water to Americans in need, beginning with folks at the Navajo Nation. And now for Taylor's entry. You know, it sounds like the ceremony was an emotional affair. So is it possible that those emotions allowed each attendee to access some sort of inner rhythm that they all could hear, feel, and... Or does the legend hold water? Was this rhythm created to shield the group from outside negativity? Regardless of the answer, I enjoy learning more about the culture, and we truly appreciate the entry. So thanks again, Taylor, for sharing, and thank you for hanging around to the end of the episode. Have a good night.
Have you ever encountered an unexplained hairy bipedal hominid in the woods? Have you received telepathic messages from an unidentified aerial phenomenon? If so, then you need to listen to Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm Michael McMillan. And I'm Bryce Johnson. And together with super producer... Riley Bray. We make up the Bigfoot Collectors Club. That's right. Every week we talk to actors, comedians, writers, and paranormal experts about their personal paranormal histories and share stories of high strangeness. Like the time when we talked to Craig Ferguson about the Loch Ness Monster and when a sea witch told him he had raven magic. Or the time I asked Pitch Perfect's Anna Camp her opinion on cattle mutilations. Past guests have included Rachel Bloom, Jen Kirkman, Paul F. Tompkins, Bobcat Goldthwait, and more. So if you've ever been abducted alongside five reindeer by an alien with grills for hands, or witnessed Bigfoot crawl out of an interdimensional portal, don't laugh, happens all the time, then check out Bigfoot Collectors Club on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Bigfoot Bigfoot Collectors Collectors Club, Club. you're here to to believe believe us. Wait, is that how it goes? On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.